Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. It's nice to be together again. Nice to see all of our kids back from parts unknown and places camping and so many different places. The summer is certainly passing quickly, but it's nice to be together again. For those of you who weren't here last week, of which we were also of that group, I'd encourage you to listen to Pastor Adrian's message entitled Out of Bounds. I heard it uh, last night and today. It was, uh, it's about abuse of authority in the church. Uh, it, was, uh, it was quite uh, profound, and I know that uh, with uh, so many people traveling last week, most probably did not hear it live, but I would encourage you to take some time if you can. It is on our website. The history, let me back up a minute. Today is the fifth month and the 13th day of the month of God's calendar. I like to do that on a weekly basis and remind us where we are. We're 47 days away from the Feast of Trumpets, so yes, summer is fleeting by. The history of the feminist movement goes back a lot further than I had thought. It's often attributed to the early 20th century with the fight for the right to vote. But the person who gains credit for starting it was a lady by the name of Mary Wollstonecraft in the late 18th century. She was the mother, actually, of the author of the book Frankenstein. You've heard of Mary Shelley. Her name was Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. She married Percy Shelley, a poet. And she began what was called the first wave of feminism. And the first wave took us up into the early 20th century. Much of the efforts were a fight for equality in the eyes of the law. Women, until reaching the ability of the suffrage movement in the early 20th century, gaining voting rights here in Canada, I think, in 1921, the population was divided. Men were, had full rights and women were thought of not quite so. As the century passed and we moved into the war efforts, to offset the lost labor with soldiers going to war, it resulted in two conflicts in society. One was a sudden self-valuation on the part of the women who who went into the factories, went into the, the workforce to maintain society, to maintain uh, all of the, the economic efforts that, that were normally, had up until that point, had been done uh, by those who went off to war in what was, is called traditional, traditional women's roles. And the second conflict was when the soldiers came back from war, there was all of a sudden a competition for jobs. Women who had worked in, from home and was it were a full-time homemaker were now in competition realizing that they could work outside the home and were now in competition with soldiers returning looking for work. The second wave of feminism started in the 1960s led by folks like Gloria Steinem and Betty Friedan. Betty Friedan wrote a book entitled The Feminine Mystique. And most notably, this really turned on a battle of the sexes which culminated in the legalization of abortion. 
Now, this is not a, a, a sociological sermon on, on what women should be doing, should they be working or not be working. What I'd like to do today, with everyone back from summers abroad, save for uh, uh, Sister Olivia, who's looking after her mom, and the Davises who are in Detroit, and most especially with all of our youth here, what I would like to do is examine the qualities of a virtuous woman. You can find that in Proverbs chapter 31. What does God expect of our young ladies? And more importantly, what, if any, are the implications on the rest of us? What are the implications on young men? What are the implications on the, the congregation as a whole? Whether you are young or old, whether you are married or not married, whether you are working or not working, whether you have a full-time job outside the home, whether you have a full-time job in the home, this is not a sociological sermon. This is a message from God's scripture. What does God expect of a virtuous woman? And more importantly, what are the implications on the rest of us? Let's turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 31. I want to jump into this because we have as... Deacon Jan mentioned in his prayer, the young children growing up, and with the youth studies that we've been doing, and Brother Gord, and the one that he handled downstairs, talking about heroes, I'd like to look at the impact of this proverb, and what it really, really, really means. If you go to verse 10 of Proverbs 31, we read, who can find a virtuous wife or a virtuous woman, as some translations have it? This word virtuous is the Hebrew word hayil. For those of you taking notes and, and familiar with Strong's, it's 2428. And the word virtuous really means strength, of strength or of valor. So when we talk about this and we use this religious word virtuous, what it's really asking is who can find a woman of strength, and a woman of valor. And what we're going to do is we're going to start off by going through the qualities of the virtuous woman or the virtuous wife. And what we're going to see is it doesn't matter whether they work in the home or outside the home, whether they are married or unmarried. This applies to all and, can, and, can be, and is something that should be strived for. But let's look and see what, see what we see here. Who can find a virtuous wife? Who can find a woman of strength and a woman of valor? When you think of the word valor, you go back to wartime. And it was uh, 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 men of valor. There was a park in Winnipeg that was named after the, the men at Vimy Ridge on, uh, regarding the men of valor. And these were men of strength, men of character who served us. For her worth is far above rubies. Her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have, he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar she also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. 
From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good, and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. And when he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in in time to come, and she opens her mouth with, with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise in the gates. Now at first glance, this is a very busy, busy person. But when we cut to the chase, when we pull out, this is not a 1950s sermon of making sure when your husband comes home from his job, you have bread baking and you're dressed in a nice dress. And there was actual, I've seen articles from outside magazines and church magazines that encourage that. This is not whether you work in the home or out of the home or have a career or have a career as a homemaker. Let's look at the character and qualities of a virtuous woman. She is trustworthy. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. When we go through here, we see that she makes good use of her time. She is not idle, it says. And we won't read again all of the activities that she takes on. But she's a wise manager of time. See, she's a wise manager of finances. She's very prudent and resourceful we can see that she rises while it is yet night and she provides food for her household. She seeks wool and flax. She ensures that her family is focused on God, doing good to others and focused on her family. And she leads by example. And we see that at the end when her children and her husband realize what she's done, they praise her beyond recognition. They praise her to the extreme. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. She's clearly a frequent giver of time and resources to others. She's clearly outward focused on her family, on those who are less fortunate, on those who need her help. And she gives it freely and cheerfully. We see that. She's not afraid. She governs herself with wisdom and discretion in action and advice. We see that she acts with wisdom and discretion, and she guides people. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She follows up her actions, and her, her, she follows up her, her speech with action. What she says, she practices. She clearly fears God. This is evident in how, what she speaks and what she does. 
Her strength, she has strength when facing trials and disappointment. She's not worried about snow. She's not worried if winter is bad. She has faith and she has strength during times of trials. She's humble in letting her actions speak for her. She doesn't praise herself. Her family praises her. She doesn't need the glory. She is focused on giving glory to God and serving others. And she is clearly focused on the world to come. These are timeless virtues that are not bound to the 1950s style Leave it to Beaver family. For those of you who are aware of the Leave it to Beaver nuclear family where they, everything was pristine and there was, might have been a small problem and in 22 minutes you could solve every problem that could be brought to the family. Whether Again, whether you're a homemaker, you work outside the home, you're married, or support yourself, these virtues form the foundation of a true woman of strength and valor. One who is trustworthy. One who's a wise manager of time a wise manager of finances, fears God, is humble, is a giver of her time, is strong in the face of adversity, is humble and let others praise her. To our young ladies, study this chapter. Study this. And aim to be a godly woman of strength, no matter what you do in this life. Let's go back to how I started with the feminist movement and ask ourselves a key question. What was really at the heart of this movement? It was interesting that I heard Pastor Adrian's message on abuse of authority last night. It was called Out of Bounds. It was related to pastors who and church leadership that overextend their their use of authority. But what was really at the heart of the feminist movement? If opinions were truly valued, would there have been a need for a right, a fight to right for a fight for the right to vote? If work of all kinds was truly valued, whether it was in the home or whether it was outside the home, would there have been a need to battle for the right to stay in the workplace? And if the person was valued, would there have been a battle of the sexes? Because the key to understanding the virtuous woman is to go back to verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. King Lemuel is thought to be King Solomon. It means it's a, it's a nickname that means belonging to God's, and most scholars, if not all, agree that this is Solomon. So this is likely Bathsheba to Solomon. This is not written to a woman. This is written to a young man. This is not written to a woman. And we will see by covering the first half of chapter 31 that while... Both our young men and young women are in the process of developing character. What often is sought in Proverbs 31, and it being a difficult 
difficult section of scripture to discuss from a pulpit because it's about how women should act. And women are never behind the pulpit, so it's always men telling women how they should be from the pages of scripture. And that is valid, and that is a good thing. This scripture is actually written to a young man. It is written to King Lemuel as a young man. And she says, my son, the son of my womb. Before we continue here, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 4. Because this is as King Solomon, the wisest man to live, besides Jesus Christ, of course. When we look at 1 Kings chapter 4, as he is preparing to take on the kingdom from his father David, let's pick it up in verse 29. And we know that Solomon asked for wisdom. He was given in a dream by God a choice of anything he wanted to ask for. And rather than riches and fame and glory, he chose wisdom. Verse 29 tells us, God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding. And largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite and Heman, Chalcol and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Also he spoke of trees from the cedar of the tree of Lebanon even to the hyssop that springs out of the wells. He spoke of all animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But he was known for having spoken 3,000 proverbs. Now I did not tally up or even research how many proverbs are listed in the book of Proverbs. I suspect they're not 3,000 but the ones that God saw fit to preserve in Scripture are here. So let's go back to Proverbs 31 and see what his mother taught him. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him, What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows, do not give your strength to women nor your ways to that which destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart, and let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless, In the cause of all who are appointed to die, open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. So before even getting to the virtuous woman, his mother told him a few things about what a man should be like, what a king needs to be like. Do not give yourself to just any woman, is what she told him. We see that in verse 3. Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways 
to that which destroyed kings. Why don't give yourself just to any woman? Because we have thousands of years of history that say when you give yourself just to any woman, you take yourself away from God or you jeopardize your relationship with God. Because, as verse 3 says, that can destroy a king. Imagine the most powerful person in a nation can be brought to his knees by being with the wrong woman. Partake of alcohol, she continues, properly. And never abuse it to the point where you cannot make sound decisions. It is not for kings, Olamule, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. This is not instruction against alcohol. This is instruction against the misuse of alcohol to the point where the mental capacity allows you to not partake of sound decisions. She also tells them to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. So as we grow up and as we take on character and develop your destiny and go off to school and make lives for yourselves, there's a lot of stuff you've heard over the years from here, from youth studies, from your parents. These three things that Solomon's mother taught him, don't just give yourself off to any woman. Partake of alcohol properly and stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Remember how often God spoke to Israel about what kind of king they should have, one who stays true to God, one who stays away from foreign women. And foreign does not mean in our day and age people of other cultures. It's people who father, follow other gods. And that, for certain, we have in our, in our society today. Because it wasn't the women themselves, it was their ability to distract them and get them to follow foreign gods and not our God. Deuteronomy 17, we'll look at a couple of scriptures here that tell us what type of kings God wanted. But if they were to have kings, they were to be certain ways. Deuteronomy 17. Verse 14 tells us, this says, is as Moses is preparing Israel to cross the Jordan, the second generation of Israelites, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from whom among your brethren you shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Don't pick kings who serve themselves. Don't pick leaders whose goal is to feed themselves. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So again, we see the admonition to guard against choosing leaders who are focused on themselves. 
Also it shall be, verse 18, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So choose a king who is about service. Choose a king who is not in it for the glory. And choose a king who follows God. And we go to Exodus 34, just a few pages before, to the first generation. God had to repeat it to the second generation. When we go back to the first generation, Exodus 34. Verse 10 of Exodus 34. And he said, I will make a covenant. Behold, I will make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom are shall see the work, whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughter's, for your sons, and his daughters shall play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So God is all about ensuring that those who grow up, those who grow up under him, stay with him. That we protect ourselves against relationships that may guide us away from him. And we can see that found in several other places that we won't go to throughout the books of the kings. Let's go back now to Proverbs 31 with this in mind, that this is written to King Lemuel, written to Solomon, who before she goes into the virtuous woman advice, tells him what kind of man he needs to be like. And remember what we talked about, that he needs to be pure in his relationships, partake of stuff like alcohol, and of course there are other things these days, properly and never abuse it to the point that you cannot make sound decisions and to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? Remember, this now is two young men. What type of man deserves a virtuous woman? That's what God is asking here. What type of man deserves a virtuous woman? One who is pure, one who follows God, and one who makes, ensures that his mind is always able to make sound decisions. One who can find a virtuous woman? Is it one who is not focused 
on building a career of some kind so that he can support a family? Is it one who spends their time gaming and watching sports while living in their parents' basements far beyond their educational years? I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about far beyond their educational years because that is rampant amongst young men in my workplace, uh, and I say young men into their 30s who continue to live at home and not be focused on building a career, but be focused on play first. Or how about would a misogynistic man who seeks only to have a small empire to rule deserve a virtuous woman? A man who is interested in control for the sake of satisfying his own ego. Is that what type of man deserves a virtuous woman? Let's read what we've already read and see that it is not only a, a picture of character of a virtuous, a young lady of strength and valor, but it is a message to young men. Because her husband trusts her. That means building a relationship with someone that is completely and fully trustworthy. That you have, it is so strong, you have complete trust. The heart of her husband, verse 11, safely trusts her. He also has full confidence that whatever she does is good for the family. Verse 12, she does him good and not evil. That's why he can trust her. Because the relationship is so strong and their goals are so focused together that there's no doubt. Her decisions fall in line with his. He is not worried or jealous when she is not around because he knows she is working toward the same goal. She rises while it is night. He's not worried that she's not there. Where could she be? He's home late. He's not worried if she's not there because he knows their goals are the same from this trust that is built in a proper relationship. She has full authority to make purchases for the family. She considers a field and buys it. That's trust. That's wisdom. That's someone with a sense, a business sense, that can go and consider something and purchase a piece of property. That's trust. That takes wisdom. That takes education. That takes, that takes understanding. That takes a lot of positive qualities. This isn't a woman for a 30-year-old gamer worried about getting online at 30 years old and keep and, and not, not making a living. This woman is for a man who has a career, a career path and a career plan. Her husband lives a life worthy of respect in the community. We see he is known in the gates. It doesn't mean he needs to be an elder or a politician or a minister at church, or a politician, or a CEO. In his circle of influence, he's known as a good man. And he 
lives a life worthy of respect in his community. And we see that when he sits, his, her husband, verse 23, is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, wherever he sits, he has a voice. No matter how big or small the empire that he sits in, he has a voice and he's respected because he's, he's a man of integrity. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. This man lets her transact business on behalf of the family and has nothing to do with this. She makes the girdles and she sells them. This is her baby. She delivers girdles unto the merchant. Again, let's remove, as we're reading this, let's remove the, the details of this time and bring it down into, into today because these are characteristics and qualities that are relevant today. He always speaks positively about her in public. He never disparages her in public. Her husband, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Her family, the children that he helps raise, and he himself always, always praises her in public. There is not a disparaging word that goes against this lady from her family. How many have heard in the workplace or school place a disparaging word about the mom or a disparaging word about the wife? Because when guys get together and talk, guys can, guys can be a little loose and, and sort of feel like they fit in. I, I hear it in the workplace. Here, who deserves a virtuous woman? A man that will always praise her and speak positively about her in public. Who deserves a virtuous woman of strength and valor? Who deserves this type of woman of such strength and valor? A man of equal strength and valor. That's who deserves a virtuous woman. That's who can find a virtuous woman, she is saying to him. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 20, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 20. So Adam gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That hints at preparation because, young men, you need to be preparing yourselves now to deserve a virtuous woman. Prepare now to deserve a virtuous woman. That was the message from Solomon's mother to him. 
prepare to deserve a virtuous woman. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and see the connection to the church. Because that passage of scripture is not just to young ladies. It's not just to young men. It's actually to all of us. The proverb on the virtuous woman really is to every single person sitting in this room and or hearing this message later. Because aren't we all preparing to be the bride of Christ? Aren't we all preparing to try to be the virtuous woman that is worthy of marriage to our Savior? Verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should only be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this reason, again quoting where we just read from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one, become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you notice how much is written to the wife and how much is written to the man? There, there are equal instructions, but there are two verse, two, three verses, six lines, and several more than that to husbands. Because the onus is on both. And as that passage in Proverbs states, this was written to a young man. Doesn't Christ deserve a bride of strength and valor? All that he has done when you go through scripture and see all that Christ did, what God, at the end of, at the end of this age, and the marriage supper is, is upon us, and he sends his son back, doesn't he deserve a bride of strength and valor? Doesn't he deserve someone he can trust? Someone he has full confidence that we have only the good of the family at heart? Doesn't he deserve someone that he's not worried or jealous about that will not flit our eyes towards other gods? Because he knows that we have his family at the heart. Doesn't he deserve a bride that he can put full authority in whenever he gives us the five or ten cities and not worry that we will abuse that authority? Isn't that the type of virtuous woman he needs and he deserves? We know 
he lives a life of respect in his community, and he is known at his gates. Doesn't he deserve a bride that upholds that respect? When he puts trust in us to do his business, to look after his business here on this earth, and then he will put his trust in us in the future to transact his business in his kingdom. Doesn't he deserve a bride that he can trust with that business? That he will have full confidence in? And can you imagine the positive publicity he will speak about his bride? He will not say a negative word about us. He will praise us. Doesn't our Savior deserve a virtuous woman? A woman of strength and of valor. One who has all the qualities of a bride that is worthy of the Son of God. So what should we be doing in the interim? Turn with me to Proverbs 18. Whether we read Proverbs 31, and we should read it always, all ways, not always, we should read it all ways. We should read it if you're a young woman and glean from it the qualities that you need to become. We should read it as a young man and see what it really says towards young men and the type of person you need to become so that you have a relationship with such a woman of valor. And we should read it as Christians and as children of God because we are all trying to become the bride of Christ and put on these characteristics. But Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Let's go back before we make comments on this to Proverbs or Psalms 37. Go back to the 37th Psalm. We just read that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from God. Proverbs 37. Verse 4 tells us, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Pray now to be one. And pray now while you're young to find one. It is not too early to pray that you find a virtuous mate, that you find someone of strength and valor, that you find a mate of God. It is not too hard, or too, you're not too young to pray to become a virtuous woman or that you pray that you develop the character to deserve a virtuous woman. Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. Let's take a look at this story of Abraham sending his servant to find a wife for Isaac. Genesis chapter 24. We won't read too much of the account. Start in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who had ruled over all that he had. So this was a man of trust. This was his longest serving employee. This had the most wisdom by virtue of his age. 
and he had the most capacity of, of authority in his house. So this was a man that Abraham could trust. Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Let's drop down to, so that sets the stage of what, what, what is going on here. Abraham is sending his chief servant off to find a wife for his, his son. And we won't get caught up in the fact that this, was, this is not how we do things today, although some parents might wish that we did. <laughs> then the servant, verse 10, took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, here's what the servant said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the seer coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher and that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. You're not too young to pray for God to find you a mate and to be with your mate. Now, there is someone in your future that is somewhere that God needs to protect, that God needs to guide that God needs to guide their parents to help guide them. Here, this was future-looking. There there wasn't a guarantee he was coming home with a mate for Isaac. But here the servant knew to pray that God helps him in this search. You're never too young to focus, to ask God to help you become the person that your mate deserves. And you're never too young to pray that God protects your future mate. What else can we be doing? We realize that every choice you make now helps define your destiny and your character. Every choice that you make today defines who you will become in the future. If you allow a somewhat, as Lemuel was, was warned against, being caught up with whether it's a little too much drink or a little too much Uh, uh, interaction with someone then it will be easier next time to take a step further and it will be easier after that to take a step further that's why God warned about staying pure at all times so realize that every choice you make helps define your destiny and your character be someone that trusts and be someone who is trustworthy be someone who does good at all times, that everybody can trust, that if I send this person out to do something, I have full trust and confidence because that person is a person of strength and a person of virtue and a person of valor. Be someone who has been educated enough to make sound decisions. Be someone who lives a life worthy of respect in their community. And that can be a small circle of influence or a big circle of influence. But whatever circle of influence you have, live that life of respect. 
Revelation chapter 19. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Ultimately, we, all of us, are aiming to be the bride of Christ. The character we build in this life and the physical relationships we build on this earth will determine our readiness for the coming of the bridegroom. And we see this here in Revelation chapter 19. Let's pick it up in verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. So again, it doesn't matter your circle of influence. You're just as important to God. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Ready for what? Ready to be a virtuous woman. Ready to be a bride of strength and valor for our Savior. And to her, to us, young and old, men and women, single and married, working and retired, doesn't matter what moniker or label you place on yourself, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We will be clothed and known by what we are by the actions we become, by the character we build. And he will speak positively about us in public, just like the children and the husband of the virtuous woman did. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Ultimately, we all need to become a virtuous woman. We all need to become people of trust, of purity, of integrity, of wisdom, of understanding. Because our bridegroom deserves nothing less. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3 as we begin to wind down in a few minutes. Proverbs chapter 3. Because the virtuous woman was likened to being more valuable than rubies. Why? Because godly character is more valuable than any riches on this earth. And we can see that same comparison here made in this proverb. Verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. And she is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all the paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The qualities of a virtuous woman are qualities we should all possess because godly character is more valuable 
than riches. Wisdom and understanding, which represents godly character, it says here, are better than gold, silver, rubies, and any physical manifestation of riches on this earth. And it's interesting that references to wisdom being more valuable than rubies, this is not the only place. There are at least three other places in Job and other Proverbs that that indicate that, that make reference to that, but we won't take time to go there. So young ladies, as you grow into womanhood, as you get ready to go off into scholastic endeavors and school and eventually, or perhaps this year, leave your parents' home, strength can be found in various forms. Godly women are confident. Godly women are wise. Godly women are strong. Godly women are classy. But godly women are humble, and godly women are service-oriented. Young men, as you grow into manhood, develop the character that deserves such a woman. Develop that. Take time now to pray for that character. Take time now to focus on that character. Take time now to pray that you find such a person. Pray now that God brings you the right partner. Pray that he blesses and protects them and is preparing them for you. Who can find a virtuous woman? Well, in this life, that's up to each of us as individuals to become that man or that woman of strength and valor that is deserving of a partner of equal strength and valor. Young ladies and young men, prepare yourselves now to be deserving of someone of virtue. And to everyone else, whether married, widowed, single in this life, we should all be trying to become more virtuous each and every day. Luke chapter 18 will be the final scripture. Luke chapter 18. This comes at the end of the parable of the woman and the judge. We focus typically focus on verse 8, where he says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on this earth? When he comes back, will he find people of faith? Well, actually, it says he will, because when you go back to verse 7, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So there will be people on this earth when Christ comes back that will be people of faith. We don't know how many, but there will be people of faith when he comes back. Who will find a virtuous woman? Christ, the bridegroom, will find a virtuous woman when he comes back. That is one thing we can be certain of, that our Father in heaven will ensure that his son is presented with the most virtuous woman. But will we be part of that presentation? This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.